Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the Hour of Truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Hello there. Hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, that's great. Sorry, there's a bit of a problem here. Anyway, very warm welcome to our regular listeners and those who are new to a serious radio live brought to you on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio every third Tuesday, monthly at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. UK Time, and 10 a.m. Pacific Time. A serious radio live invites you to discover the cosmic message for this age revealed through legendary master of yoga and world-renowned medium, Dr. George King, between 1954 and 1997. Be prepared for another amazing show covering fascinating topics such as karma, UFOs, the Mother Earth, the New World, the Next Master, life on other planets, and much, much more. Today, a serious radio live will be presenting a show with a difference. Your host, Richard Lawrence, will answer questions later in the program from one of the Ethereum Society's newer staff members, Jamie Bates. Um, I'm hoping that he will be able to join us because at the uh, moment um, he's not showing up. But, uh, but first of all, Richard will uh, be talking about some fascinating recent events and introduce the theme of today's show, which is World Service. So without further ado, I give you Richard Lawrence. Thank you, Nikki, and welcome to all our listeners. And, Nikki, by the sound of it, we have some technical hitches going on. Yes, unfortunately, it would appear to be so. So um, I'm hoping that this will hold out. Right, would you please let me know and interrupt me if indeed uh, we do get Jamie Bates uh, coming in on the line. And you might try to phone him. I know he's in his residence in Chesterfield at the moment. Yes, family I'm home. Try, yes, I'm going to try him. So, um, okay. bear with me. In the meantime, okay. I will I will carry on, and I hope the uh, the listeners don't get too bored with me just uh, talking alone, because um, my dear friend and colleague Chrissy Blaze is currently on a well-earned vacation, and so on this program, uh, we were looking for Jamie. Uh, to come in and with a rather fresh look um, and gives uh, and raise some questions. But first of all, let me just recap on a few things that have been going on with the Theorist Radio Live lately. Last month, of course, we did uh, a program on paying your debt to Mother Earth or repaying our debt, I should say, to Mother Earth. And I've had quite a few comments about that. It turned out to be an extremely advanced um, concept. I mean, far too advanced for the likes of me to fully comprehend, that's for sure. But we still threw out some concepts, the main one of which was, of course, that Dr. George King himself, and this is only an opinion, I want to stress this, this is my opinion, it, it might be an educated opinion, but it's, it's an opinion I'm offering here, must have had uh, some kind of experience before he ever came to this planet, because as listeners will know, we do believe he was a cosmic avatar, the likes of the Master Jesus, Sri Krishna, the Lord Buddha, and others, the great Lord of the Earth, the Lord Babaji, of course, uh, and others, who've come to our world in different ways. Lord Babaji came in a different way from the others, not birth through the womb of an Earth woman. Um, but in his case, I do believe in Dr. King's case, and this is again, I stress is my opinion, he must have had some experience at another place, another time, before he ever came here, of planets, of the logoi of planets, of how planets feel, of how planets are. For him to come up with the, the two missions we really focused on last month were mainly Operation Sunbeam and Operation Earthlight. So those two missions um, really encapsulate uh, an expression, as we covered last month, um, to some degree covered, because one could talk for months and months about both of those missions. But don't worry, we only have an hour here. Um, and we've explored this concept. And it's interesting that since then, I came across an interesting statement made by Dr. George King in a, a really wonderful uh, address that he gave years ago, 
um, called If I Could Choose. And during that address, he made this statement. And he was referring in this to Operation Sunbeam. He said, you're giving some aspect of beauty back to a being which is so beautiful, so magnificent, so wondrous as to be beyond the mere conception of even the greatest man who has ever set foot upon this planet and ever likely to, unless it's a Mars Sector 6 who knows planets intimately. And I was particularly struck by that statement that Mars Sector 6 knows planets intimately. Because intimately is such a strong word. Are you, are you there, Nikki? Hi there. Yes, I just wanted to let you know we now have Jamie Bates waiting in the wings. Oh, good. Oh, wonderful. Oh, wonderful. That's good to know. So, yes, so getting back to that point, the Mars Sector 6 actually knows planets intimately. What that says about this karmic lord, of course, uh, is very interesting. And we've discussed in the past the fact that Mars Sector 6 sometimes would uh, introduce himself in his transmissions, not as Mars Sector 6, but as Mars. And Dr. King, he, he would say, for example, this is Mars. And uh, Dr. King did say to me that he, Dr. King, in his Earth physical body, he said, didn't know exactly what that meant, but it could mean exactly what he said. And that's a very interesting statement, too. But it just got me thinking, of course, Dr. King would never claim and didn't claim and wouldn't claim to be on a par or on a level with the karmic Lord Mars Sector 6. He re revered Mars Sector 6, who was possibly, possibly, the greatest master who ever actually spoke through him. I, this is certainly a possibility, uh, and it has, if not been stated, it's certainly been intimated. But he, on the other hand, I do think, although whether one could use that same phrase, that he knew planets intimately, Dr. King must have known a lot about them, for him to come up, to even know how to come up with missions like Operation Sunbeam and Operation Earthlight. So those are a few sort of afterthoughts from last month's program, which is still available on a podcast. And of course, what we've been doing here is going through what we're regarding as some of the keys of King Yoga. And we did this a few months ago, starting the ball rolling with solving the spiritual energy crisis as one of the keys of King Yoga, and then, of course, the, the one I've just referred to, paying our debt to Mother Earth. And today, we're talking about world service. And this is, you might say, not very new, the idea of world service, but I think it is new in the way it's presented by the Ethereum Society. Let, let me just say that today, this very day, um, our spiritual energy radiators, about which we've spoken many times in the past, have been operational or will be operational in every area where we have one. And they will be operational for uh, peace and freedom in the Korean Peninsula. And uh, as you will have heard in the news, of course, uh, this is a very tenuous situation. Uh, there's a war of words going on. We've all heard it. Some think it's very dangerous. Some think it's just um, bluster. But you, can't, you can never be sure. And so we have gone into operation. And as I'm speaking today in the latest news, um, there is a, seems to be some pause uh, in, in, in the um, hostile threats being made by North Korea but however you can't be sure of that either so we're carrying on with this and tomorrow and Nikki will be giving the details of this there will be an emergency online 12 blessing service uh, for that particular purpose and that will be at 8pm in, in the UK time which of course is uh, I've got to remember my maths right here 3pm in the eastern daylight time in America and 12 noon uh, in Pacific Daylight Time and many other time zones. You can join in from any part just at 12blessings.org. But Nikki will be talking more about that later. Also today and yesterday evening, runs were done from London for uh, the mudslide, the terrible catastrophe which has been occurring in Sierra Leone. You may have heard about this too in Freetown, Sierra Leone, uh, where 
they estimate up to 400 are now declared dead. It could be much worse than this. There's been terrible um, mudslides uh, burying people in their capital city. Um, and this is something we've also been doing runs for. And the reason I mention this is both because it's newsworthy, but it illustrates, I think, the very essence of what the Ethereum Society is here to do in many levels and many ways, which is serve the world as a whole. And very often, some spiritual and religious movements have dwelt more on personal relationships, how you interrelate with your family, your friends, your neighbours, all of which is important. But the main priority and the very cornerstone, I think, or one of them, of King Yoga is world service, service to the world. And we're going to look at that through the eyes of the Ethereum Society. Now, of course, the Ethereum Society is not the only organization far from it in the world, thank goodness, uh, which is performing world service. There are many ways of doing it, both spiritual ways and more material ways, uh, which are also essential. And some of them are fantastic. Um, we do believe uh, at Ethereum Radio Live that there is no finer way to serve the world than through the Ethereum Society unless you be an ascended master, in which case, please do call into the station right now. Uh, sorry, that was slightly flippant. But, of course, there are far, far fewer ascended masters than are there are claimed to be, and far fewer contacts, genuine contacts with ascended masters than there are claims. Um, and this is a very rare thing, and, of course, the spiritual hierarchy of Earth is the greatest and most powerful, spiritually speaking, organization on earth, led, of course, by the Lord Babaji himself. But that aside, we do believe the Ethereum Society to be the most effective way to serve the world as a whole, but not the only way. Of course, if we thought otherwise, we wouldn't be connected to the Ethereum Society. We'd go where we thought it was most effective. But it's not a competition. There are many ways to serve, and they're all absolutely vital in these days and that's one of the absolute elements of king yoga uh, before i get into more about the ethereum society and later introduce my guest questioner jamie bates i would like just to also share something else which is also a follow-on from a previous uh, ethereum radio live uh, show which was uh, some months ago in march uh, when we did a broadcast on the close encounters of Mary King. Mary King being the mother of Dr. George King. Now, those who are familiar with UFO claims and close encounter claims will have heard, probably, of people like George Adamski and Dan Fry, who I, I had the pleasure to actually meet, and he, he was a very elderly man when I met him, and others, um, Frank Stranges, who also I knew, and others. But... Uh, putting aside the unique claims of Dr. George King, I don't think there's a more um, significant modern series of close encounters that I know of than those of Mary King, his mother. And they all occurred in, uh, or from, I should say, not in, because they were in space, uh, but uh, many of them. But uh, some of them actually occurred in homes, in her homes in the Devon area. She lived in the region of Ilfracombe in North Devon. And she lived uh, around various small villages. And from there, she had this incredible series of close encounters. Do tune in to our broadcast in March on the close encounters of Mary King, and you'll get a much better idea of these. Now, uh, last week, uh, my wife, Alison, who's broadcast on this program on more than one occasion, and I went down to, to Devon for a couple of reasons, but one of them was to visit the actual sites of where these close encounters occurred or where she was dwelling at the time when they happened. And we went to three of her homes. Now, we were helped greatly by two very good members of the Ethereum Society, John Stevenson and Gwyneth Evans Wilcox, who had done quite a lot of research into this some years ago and had been to these places. And so we know exactly where she lived in, in Barbrook, uh, in Berry Narba and in, near Kentisbury. And we could go to those places and we spent the day doing that. We actually went to the very field from which the uh, extraterrestrial spacecraft took off under the pilot ship, if there is such a word as pilot ship, of Mars Sector 8, and from which, in which she actually met again, because she'd known him in a former life, the Master Jesus. 
and he received the 12 blessings from her. And we had a most amazing day doing this. Well, I do want to tell listeners that that night, or the following early morning at 3 a.m., we had from the bedroom window of our hotel where we were staying, with a view over the Bristol Channel, the most spectacular sighting, uh, of an extraterrestrial, well, it definitely a UFO at the very least. Um, it was triangular in shape. It stayed in the sky uh, for 20 minutes. It was gold and it changed its, its intensity. It didn't flash uh, like an aeroplane would, for example, and it didn't move like a satellite or a meteorite, of course, would. Um, it, uh, it slightly changed its shape and then back again, and it changed its intensity um, it was uh, below the cloud level. There were clouds. You couldn't see the stars, really, in the sky that night. But when occasionally the, the clouds parted, you saw a tiny little pinprick in the sky, which uh, was really nothing like what we were looking at. Much, much further away and absolutely tiny. Uh, we did check to see where Mars and Venus and Jupiter were at that time and they were nowhere in this vicinity. And this object, as I say, was over the Bristol Channel for, for this period of time and we were privileged to see it. And I mention that because I do think it's an indication, again, of the authenticity of Mary King's Close Encounters, which we broadcast on, on Ethereus Radio Live. Um, actually, the night after, regular listeners will remember, the night after that show, Alison and I also had a sighting of a very spectacular uh, craft, um, a bell-shaped object, which changed color from crimson to emerald green and back to crimson again. And we saw it in our, the street where we live, in Fulham, in London. Uh, it wasn't in that street, but we saw it from that street. We haven't had the great privilege, as Mary King did, unfortunately, of being invited into any of these craft. But I mention it because they both followed things to do with Mary King, and I do think that's the reason why we had them when we had them. Now to our main topic then of world service, the third key that we're talking about in the Ethereus Radio Live broadcast, the key of King Yoga, uh, hallmarks of Dr. George King and the Ethereus Society. And I want to focus particularly on the Ethereus Society. This is a, a, a very significant month for the Ethereus Society uh, because it was on August the 2nd, 1956, that the first ever formal meeting, you might say, of which we have the minutes here at the European headquarters, uh, took place. And that, that meeting, uh, which was attended by only 13 people, a committee was formed, the aims and objects were set, and indeed uh, various other decisions were made. So that's the first place, and it's a meeting that's been referred to by Dr. King many years later as a, virtually the first sort of starting point. It's not when the Ethereum Society actually started, but we do mark it uh, here in London anyway, uh, in, in the UK, I should say, uh, because of that. It's the first tangible official meeting, if you like, of uh, what is really an unincorporated uh, association here, uh, but not unincorporated karmically speaking, shall we say. Uh, now, if there is such a thing. Now, but let me, though, just explain a little bit to newer listeners, because some of our broadcasts, I feel, and I've had positive comments about this from experienced staff and members, but I want to, to also newer people who listen to Ethereum Radio Live to feel that it's comprehensible, it's accessible, and it's answering the questions that they have. And so let, let me dwell to illustrate world service on the coming into being of the Ethereum Society. And then I'm going to open up to Jamie shortly. And he's going to ask some of the questions that you might have, especially newer people, people who have come across us on the Internet or, or even seen strange articles uh, about us or something like that and, and, and are wondering things. And Jamie, who's one of our newer staff members, will be able to put those kind of questions. They're not questions, I must say, that he probably needs to ask himself because he's now a very dedicated voluntary staff member of the Ethereum Society. But he is uh, in a position to know the sorts of things that he wanted to know when he first came in. I actually met Jamie at a place called Bright Life in the Isle of Man, a place I might well be going to next month, by the way, to run a, a course. And um, 
he was he was completely new to us. It was a course based on the book Realize Your Inner Potential. And he, in fact, funnily enough, I had a radio show to do from the Isle of Man that night on a program called LBC in the, in the UK. Um, and we had to do it by phone. And although I'd only just met him, he was quick to help me uh, with that interview because I needed some assistance in setting it all up uh, from the place we were, we, the retreat we were in. Uh, and he was very helpful, even though I'd only just met him. And I'm sure he's going to be very helpful again shortly. But before we come to him, uh, let me just say a little bit for the newer people about how the, the Ethereum Society really started. Uh, it came into being um, really in 19... Dr. King always feels in 1955. Of course, the command, which is the first contact with the master Ethereus, occurred on May the 8th, 1954. And it was three weeks after that command that he actually... Dr. King actually started to receive transmissions, cosmic transmissions, uh, from the Master Ethereus. Uh, it's interesting to note that it was some time before other cosmic intelligences actually communicated through Dr. King. It was always the Master Ethereus, and also a regular communicator was the Master Chang Fu, an, a Tibetan adept on the higher mental, the highest actually of mental realms, level six, the highest inhabitable realm, uh, who'd been in touch with Dr. King for a while before this. And it was actually he, the Master Chang Fu, who requested that uh, this communicator be called Ethereus. So the name came through anyway, the Master Chang Fu, to Dr. King. And uh, in fact, the Master Ethereus amplified on this. He actually said, my advisors have not yet thought it fitting that I should divulge myself fully. I'm here to help you with any information I possibly can. Anything apart from that and above that will come when we consider the time is ripe. So in 1954, he was regularly communicating, mainly in the small bedsit that Dr. King lived in, in, in Maida Vale in London. And this continued. And Dr. King gave a very moving talk, actually, about how he reacted to this. Uh, he, he made this, this is a quote. He said, shortly after the initial contact, I was given two very definite experiences. One was to reduce my possessions to nothing. Despite the fact that I lived in a dilapidated place, I did in those days have quite a well-paid position. I could afford to run a couple of cars. I was also fool enough to race a motorcycle. These are his words. And anybody who's fool enough to race a motorcycle on the continent has got more money than sense, and I belong to this category. So again, quite unemotionally and coldly, I began to reduce my possessions to nothing until I had one suit, a pair of shoes, and that's about the lot. This was an essential experience. I recognized it as such and abided by it absolutely. So that was just one, one amazing thing that he had to do. But then, really, when what you might call the Ethereum Society started to come into being was when he, as it were, went public, which he was told to do. And this was, this was started on January the 29th, 1955, at the Caxton Hall. And he had, again... A terrible, I would say, lesson to learn, but apparently an essential one. And he described it like this. Another experience was this. I had to start, for some reason, best known to the great ones, at the bottom. I was informed that the trance condition must be done in front of the people of London. When the whole of my group, just on the verge of this first transmission, going before the public, walked out and left me absolutely and completely alone. It was like adding insult to injury. But you see, this was another essential experience. I will never forget my feelings that night when I walked into Caxton Hall, London, a lone little figure. I looked at the audience, went up onto the platform and thought to myself, how, in the name of the Lords, can I get this very, very difficult trance condition under these conditions? And he said, you see, one flash bulb at the wrong time would have killed me. One noise at the wrong time might have given me internal hemorrhage. This I knew and appreciated very definitely. There I was, completely alone, or apparently so. However, Ethereus, 
a Venusian communicator, was able to speak to London for the first time that night. So that's a bit of a preamble about how the Aetherius Society came into being and uh, how it really started. It started here in London from where I'm speaking, uh, not in the building I'm speaking. That uh, was purchased in 1958, some years later. And uh, it's gone from there. And the things that we're talking about on Aetherius Radio Live are a massive journey from those beginnings. Now, in a moment, <laughs> I keep saying this, I'm going to introduce Jamie. But before I do, Nikki. I think so that we have a clear run with Jamie, it might be a good idea, don't you think, if you do your, your announcements, your halfway announcements, and then the rest of the program can be devoted to Jamie's questions, none of which, by the way, I know. I don't know what he's going to ask. That's deliberate. Uh, it's entirely his own thinking, and he's going to be asking questions that he thinks uh, people out there, newer people, people who just come into orbit with us, will want to know the answers to, and I shall try to my best of my ability to answer them. So, Nikki, over to you. Well, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Richard, for sharing uh, your recent sighting, that experience, and uh, the introduction, which I call, to the Aetherius Society and its work in service to the world as a whole. You are listening to Aetherius Radio Live with host Richard Lawrence, who will be answering questions from one of the Society's newer staff members, Jamie Bates. There are quite a few events to announce, so please bear with me, which are as follows. As mentioned, because of the very difficult situation between the USA and North Korea, uh, we are holding an emergency online 12 blessing service tomorrow for peace and freedom in the Korean Peninsula. This will take place Wednesday, August the 16th, tomorrow, live at 8 p.m. BST, 3 p.m. EDT, 12 noon PDT. Please join us to send out as much spiritual energy and light to this area. And you can do this by clicking on 12blessings.org. In addition to this, obviously, you are very welcome to join us with the regular live online 12 Blessings every Saturday and Sunday. Again, 12blessings.org, and that's 12 in digits. In the Michigan area, the following events are taking place. Saturday, August 26th, is the Aetherius Society taking the wonderful Operation Prayer Power to the Renaissance Unity Church, where anyone with an open mind and belief in the power of prayer can take part. On Tuesday, August 29th, at the Michigan branch in Royal Oak, there is another fascinating class with Gary and Chrissy Blaze, King Yoga, Spiritual and Psychic Development. Please visit ethereusmi.org for more details. At the Temple here in London, we have the following events. Saturday, August 19th, an all-day workshop, The Mystic Power of Numbers. Tuesday, August 29th at 7 p.m., a talk, Dr. George King, The Master Speak during which extracts of cosmic transmissions will be played. Please visit london-temple.org for more details. Saturday, August 26th, sees the following pilgrimages taking place in the UK. So if you're in the UK, please come. Craig and Les Chain in the Cairngorm, Scotland. Old Man of Coniston, Cumbria, Lake District. Yes Tor, Dartmoor, Devon. For more details and advice regarding these mountains, please visit atheas.org. 12 midnight GMT September 4th sees the first hour of the third spiritual push for 2017 when Aetherius centers worldwide will be welcoming that shining vessel of light known to us as satellite number three, which once again orbits our world and will remain so until October the 9th. Uh, excuse me, Nikki, excuse me coming in there. Of course, it's midnight on the 3rd, isn't it, of September? Yes, 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 sorry, yes. Which is the third. early hours of the 4th. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, Richard. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it'd be 1 a.m. In, in, in this country, for example. Yes. Uh, it's midnight GMT, so it's 1 a.m. Uh, BST on yeah. the 4th. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes, I got my okay. date wrong. All the sorry. details are, are on our website anyway. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I think well, that's actually it for now. Thank you. So I'm pleased to return you to your host, Richard Lawrence. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you for those excellent uh, announcements, extremely positive, all showing the focus of the Aetherius Society on 
world service, serving the world as a whole, that vital aspect of King Yoga. And now let me introduce to you Jamie Bates. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Richard. Jamie, hi. Thank you for waiting so patiently. <laughs> no problem at all. Thank you for having me so on. So you're, you're up in, Ch- in your hometown of Chesterfield, I believe. Yes, we're in Derbyshire, and it's actually nice and sunny for a change. Oh, good, good. Well, Jamie, I'm going to hand it over to you now to answer questions that you feel the public would want to know or people would want to know or newcomers, interested people who've come across the Ethereum Society and what, in your experience and from your own uh, meeting of so many people, you feel they might ask. So over to you. I have no idea what you're going to ask me. Okay, Richard, thank you. Well, some of the questions you'll find very simple to answer, I'm sure. Um, some of the basic things, and I'd just like to get a little bit of clarity on, on certain things. So one of the first questions I have here, if you could please explain why the Ethereum Society was brought into being and why was Dr. King chosen out of the whole population of the Earth at that time? Yes, thank you. Those are two really important questions. Um, one thing I would say, actually, which is quite relevant to your first question, is, is why was the Ethereum Society brought into being, uh, was actually partly answered by um, the Ascended Master Saint Gu Ling, who visualized the Ethereum Society into being. Uh, and he actually made this statement. He said, and he made this statement in 1958. He said, I visualized the Ethereum Society into existence. When I brought into being on behalf of the Cosmic Masters, the Ethereum Society, I also knew that great would be its task. And he, of course, is an extremely prominent member of the spiritual hierarchy of Earth, and he amplified later on uh, exactly more about why he did this. He said, the Ethereum Society, this is in 1960, the following, the Ethereum Society, which I brought into being, has great opportunities to do good work throughout this earth. There is no doubt that many of you will pull together as a united band of brothers in this spiritual task, so that the great plans which are now being formulated on higher levels for this organization may be put into direct manifestation upon earth through this organization. All those loyal to this spiritual cause will be given every opportunity to be of service in one way or another, either actively, such as those directly concerned with the actual work to be done, or inactively, such as those who are able in this materialistic world to finance the workers in the field. Each one is given a great opportunity to be of invaluable assistance to a young but extremely active active organization. I think the following, which I'm going to now read again from St. Guling, is particularly relevant to your question, Jamie. He said this, As you all know, before the Ethereum Society was founded, other organizations were closely examined with the idea of relaying the vital space message through these organizations. The examiners came to the conclusion that it was better to found a new organization, free from dogmatic limitation, rather than try to change an existing one bound by its own dogmas. That is why this organization was brought into being on the direct instructions from humble self through George King, who is a direct channel connecting not only the Great White Brotherhood with ordinary man, but with cosmic masters with ordinary man. Because of this, you can all no doubt appreciate the great significance of this organization. In fact, would like to make statement now, there is not another organization on Earth at the moment comprised of terrestrials which has done as much for the Earth as the Ethereum Society since its birth. And that was in 1960. And that's quite a statement. So I suppose one could talk at length about why the Society was founded because so much came even since 1960. So many missions, so many of the things that we talk about on Ethereum Radio Live. But essentially it was considered that there wasn't an organization which could be used uh, to do this, uh, to do what our role is, as it were. Now to the second part of your question, why was Dr. King chosen? Um, there is a deep reason why he was chosen, and I think that's become more apparent and more relevant in many ways, even since his demise. I think some of us have, have really, uh, even those of us who knew him very well, relatively extremely well, um, as far as people such as us can know such a great being, 
even we, I think, I could speak for myself anyway, have realized infinitely more just how great he was, just how unique he was, and it's absolutely no surprise whatsoever to me at all that he was chosen for this task. But even if you just look at one thing, Jamie, you look at the fact that he had practiced yoga for 10 years, for eight hours a day, in London, in the UK, not in a retreat somewhere, and while doing a job, he was a very practical man, while earning his living. He wasn't a rich man, as he, said, as he stated in the reading I gave earlier. He, he lived very modestly, other than he had uh, certain hobbies with his motor vehicles, which he got rid of when, when the society was found, founded. But he had... A, I, I have tried to find, actually, over the many years I've been broadcasting, teaching, writing, researching, someone else who has practiced advanced yoga i don't we don't mean here sort of basic pre exercises although even that i don't think you'd find but advanced yoga practice for that length of time 8 hours a day for 10 years uh in in, in anywhere in the world and i found nobody uh, and i've often made the challenge over major radio stations uh, that if there, if anyone knows of such a person please say uh, i think it's very unique that alone but of course his whole caliber, and we can now say freely he didn't even come from this earth, is really why he was chosen. It was known he had the ability to receive the cosmic transmissions and also the ability to carry out the tasks he would be given. And it turned out that he went beyond the tasks he was given uh, and invented his own missions as well, which are now being performed not just by the Ethereum Society, as we said last month, but also by the spiritual hierarchy of Earth. Very interesting, indeed. Um, Richard, you mentioned then Mr. Chang Fu, uh, yeah. Master Chang Fu, on, on, yes. on level six. Yes. I think some people may be very interested in hearing a little bit more about the levels. I know this, yes. this is sort of going off into a little bit more advanced, possibly, um, but if you could possibly please explain a little bit more about the, the different levels, level six. Yes, I'd be happy to, and I think... Funnily enough, again, I think Dr. King has this incredible way of putting things down very, very simply uh, in a way that everybody can understand, and, and the levels is one example of this. Um, it, we exist in an area of space, but we exist on many dimensions. Interestingly, he was talking like this in the 1950s. Now, astrophysics has moved into this area and concepts of, of multidimensional existence and so on are in uh, some branches of astrophysical research and theoretical physics and so on. But they weren't then. And so you, you, you live according uh, to the frequency upon which you vibrate. And here in this physical world, which is the basic physical realm, which is karmically, uh, in certain ways, the most significant realm, uh, because this is the realm which everybody reincarnates to and comes here and gains experience, and you get a complete mix of people. In the same century, you have Gandhi and you have Hitler living at the same time. You have a whole variety of people. But on the other realms, when people when we pass on, you have uh, like-minded or similar vibrationally, anyway, people uh, on a particular realm. And you have higher realms above this one, are two, then three, then four, then five, and six is the highest that's inhabitable. There is a seventh one, which can be visited if, the, if you're advanced enough to get there, but you wouldn't reside there. It's too, too elevated to stay permanently in. Uh, that's a, a brief summary. There are also lower astral realms. We've talked about this before a bit. Um, but those uh, those shouldn't be there, actually. But they certainly are there, and they're very populated, sadly enough. And they have been referred to sometimes as the hells. Okay. So this is all really interesting, and I, I will get to the, to the bring it back to the point of world service. But if... If you're, in, if you're explaining about the different realms on this Earth, is that perhaps why people can't see life on other planets, for example? Yes, absolutely right. So likewise on, on Mars, on Venus, on Jupiter, um, there are higher realms of existence. And of course, the more elevated you are, the higher frequency you exist on, 
And so you could go and people, if they could even go to another planet and walk there, the life would, in all likelihood, unless it shows otherwise, be completely undetectable and not visible because it's vibrating on a higher frequency of existence. Absolutely right, yes. Excellent. Okay, that's great. Um, so mm. let's go back to the society. Could you explain yeah. a bit more about the structure of the society, the basic structure of the society and how it's run? Sure. Especially the uh, ecclesiastical side of it. Yes. Um, the, when, as I mentioned, the first meeting we, we ever had. There is one other thing, though, before I get on, if, if I may, I yeah. meant to, to just mention Jamie earlier about Dr. King, when you asked about Dr. King. You know, he made a very interesting statement in, a, in an address that he gave. Uh, and in fact, it was, again, it was if I could choose. And he said that, um, and these aren't his exact words, but he, he said, if you meet someone who tells you they could go anywhere, anytime, do what they want, do what they choose, travel freely, live as they wanted to. And some people do say this sort of thing with tremendous pride. He said, and this is an, the inimitable you know, insight and approach and down-to-earth logic of Dr. King. He said, if someone's ever said that to you, you immediately know two things about them. One, fairly obvious, I suppose, is that they'd be a selfish person. The other that you'd know about them is that they would not be an important person. An important person wouldn't have that luxury. And if it comes to Dr. King, he had that luxury less than anybody I know of. He was on call for 24 hours a day from May the 8th, 1954 until July the 12th, 1997. Um, and it could be at just a minute's notice um, he, he, he would have to act and he'd have to immediately fall into line with a directive or a request from a higher source. So I wanted to just mention that he certainly didn't have that luxury and that's another reason I believe, to answer your earlier question, that he was chosen because terrestrial people uh, don't, aren't of that caliber. I mean, even presidents and, and, and leaders who've been in that position for a short while maybe, they don't live like that 24 hours a day and if they do they retire and they enjoy their retirement and, and they, they bask in it. Um, it's a complete, very alien approach he had. Now, I'm sorry, I've drifted right off the question you actually asked it's me. So would you like to ask it again follow. just for the sake of, of, of our listeners? Well, to be honest with you, I did, I did go off on a tangent slightly, um, but I, I went fine. back to the Ethereum Society and yes. you could possibly explain a little bit more about Indeed. the structure of it I and, certainly and how it's run. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah, I will. Li I'd, I'd certainly do that. And I'd like to say, as someone who was very, very closely involved in every aspect of setting up the structure of the Ethereum Society, I, I, I actually take my hat off to Dr. King for his incredible attention to detail. I, I doubt, I don't know this, but I doubt that other, even cosmic avatars, set up their organizations or their followings uh, with such rigorous um, and, and clear directions and directives as he did. Um, and sometimes, uh, whenever it was necessary, gaining the approval of even of higher masters, such as the Master Ethereus or the Lord Babaji or another master about various aspects of it. And this he did mainly, it developed over the years, but the sort of final detailed blueprint, as it were, for how the society would be run after his demise was formulated, I would say, in the last 10 years, mainly, of, of his life, 1987 to 1997. And um, several of us worked on this. Brian Kniep, for example, who was his resident with him uh, in America, worked closely on some of these aspects as well, as did his dear wife, Lady Monique, and others. Uh, but it does. It, he did break the society down into three main uh, sections, and those are you refer to the ecclesiastical section. And strange enough, that was the first of, if you like, the what we call our governing bodies that was set up, which was the synod. And originally, it was just three people. It was just uh, himself, Lady Monique, and I was privileged to be on that body as well. And that was authorised by uh, the Lord Babaji himself. One thing about Dr. King, he always knew the protocol. 
and he knew who it was necessary to go to about various matters, not just setting up the structure, but missions, whatever he had to do. And also he had the ability to go there. And so he did. So that was that body. And that's responsible, if you like, for the services, for the running of pilgrimages, the services we hold. Uh, for example, the emergency online service tomorrow was uh, authorized by the Synod. Um, it, certainly there are many other people not on these bodies who play an extremely active part in running the Aetherius Society. But in the end, it comes back to that structure which goes back to the synod uh, and the taking of all of our if you like our spiritual activities and services uh, of all kinds and rituals would come under that particular body and we we dr king deliberately chose to use a very traditional um format for that which was if you like the traditional christian uh format uh i i, I believe this is he didn't explain it to me, by the way, in any depth, or anyone else that I know of. Uh, it's something he, he did, he decided to do himself. It was his decision entirely. And he knew, again, what, exactly what to do. He did state that he should have declared himself to be um, an archbishop, or at least a bishop, probably an archbishop, I think he said, uh, as soon as he received the Twelve Blessings, or indeed any other contact with the Master Jesus. He was thereby consecrated through that. Um, but he, I think, chose it, um, I can only give my opinion on this, to raise the structure to a higher level um, than maybe it's been ex it always expressed, shall we say. And also because of the Twelve Blessings is our main... Um, if you like, worship that we perform, not the only one. We do Buddhist mantras and Hindu practices and visualizations and so on. But our main form of worship is done through the Twelve Blessings. And that, of course, goes back to the Master Jesus. And he decided to use that tradition, but in its main and correct mystical context. And he studied it in some depth um, and knew it and followed that that process. Hence, we have uh, bishops, we have priests, we have ministers. Always, though, he was unequivocal uh, that men and, fem and women were both uh, equally um, appropriate for all these positions. There was never a debate about whether women should be priests, bishops, or anything else. The very fact that Lady Monique was the first bishop. I was a few seconds after her, because it was in the same ceremony. But uh, we have on the Synod, I think I'm right in saying more women than men at this moment. There is no particular, uh, never was any particular uh, guideline on that. So that's that body. The other body which is re uh, responsible, for example, in the last couple of days for arranging the SER runs that I spoke about earlier to Korea and to uh, Sierra Leone, this is the senior engineering officers. There are five in America, five in the UK, and we get together and, and decide uh, uh, such things. Sometimes they're decided in one country, the other one's always informed, and often there's communication between the two. Uh, for example, with Korea there was, before these series of runs was arranged. So that's another body that's responsible for the performance of all the missions. And of course, do appreciate there's overlaps between these bodies. Um, but um, they all have, for example, the third body, which I'm going on to now, which is the international directors, that body um, overlaps all the time because it's responsible for the finances, among other things. Uh, and so there's communication and cooperation between these bodies as well. So the third body, the international directors, you could say is responsible for everything that I haven't already mentioned and generally overlaps. So, for example, if we're arranging a pilgrimage, yes, the Synod is responsible for the uh, actual service there and, and some of the arrangements, but obviously the directors are involved as well because it involves administration, the use of staff, and so on. It's tremendous overlap. But basically, Jamie, those are the three bodies. It's a fairly complex structure. It was necessary uh, because of the vast range uh, of, of the Aetherius Society. For example, the promotion, the expansion, this very program that we're speaking on now, this would come under the um, international directors under their overall decision if they decided to have such a program or not. Um, but there are so many decisions have to be made and sometimes 
some of us are, you know, have to work out who's involved and who needs to be consulted. Uh, I must say that I do remember, I'll tell a slightly amusing anecdote in a way. It's rather, um, not, it's maybe in poor taste, but however, when Dr. King did pass on, uh, the person who was the solicitor for the Ethereum Society at that time did say to me um, that he's heard that some new religious organizations, when the leader passes on, they have a conflict internationally. And do you think there's any chance that we might, because he's very interested in that area of law, which I thought was uh, not very good taste on his part, and I'm pleased to say has not been necessary to date at all. We have a lot of international cooperation. Uh, we, we work together uh, we go forward as one organization, which isn't the easiest thing to do when you're spread all over the world as we are. We're not vast uh, in, our, in numbers at all, but we are very well represented and we have an incredible level of dedication. Mitchell, what would you say to anybody that thinks that the society may be a cult of some kind? I would say that um, if they think that, they've either probably seen some article in the media or some... Um, something on the internet or um, or they're just following their imagination and it's a very lazy I think an easy thing to do some people who do it they do it because they want to denigrate an organization they don't then have to think about it but what I if, I, if one goes a bit deeper I'd say this so first of all we are not a cult at all as understood by people now I mean the things we associate with cults I haven't made a deep study of it but I am aware of some of the allegations about various organizations and they're extremely concerning um, and and certainly out of order and none of that applies at all to the Ethereum Society. So by those definitions, we are certainly not a cult at all. We're not out to convert everybody. We are out to spread our message. Um, people make their own free choices, their own free decisions. They choose what they want to do. We aren't saying we're the one and only way or anything like that. So by all perhaps understandings of that very unfortunate word now, we are, we are not a cult. But I think it is something that people can easily fall back on, as I say, if they want to denigrate us and try and lump us in with various other undesirable organisations. Okay, thank you for that. That answers answer that one for sure. Um, <laughs> I just want to go back a little bit now to um, something that I think is very, very important to people understanding how, to, how they can be of service uh, in the world today. Mm. So if we go to something which... Again, when I was a child, I personally didn't grow up with a religious background, um, and, and I, I'm sorry to say this, but I left school believing that God was a man with a beard who had a big stick, who decided mm. he could live and die. I know this isn't true, of course now, mm. um, but I think a lot of people leave school with those kind of beliefs. Um, mm -hmm. So do you, have, do you have to believe in God to be of service? And, and what about, about those people that don't believe in God? Yes, actually, it's a very good question. I, I was actually asked a similar kind of question uh, on a TV show not too long ago, and I was asked, you know, which is better, to give service through charity and material ways or to do it the way you're doing it through prayer and, and service, uh, spiritual service? And the answer that I gave to that was that both are good, both are essential, but far more people are willing to work in material ways they don't necessarily believe in the spiritual ways so if you do believe in the spiritual ways I would advise you to do it that way uh, because there is a greater need and we talked about the spiritual energy crisis uh, a few shows ago I think it was in April and that is the greatest need on earth do you need to believe in God to serve absolutely not uh, there are people atheists agnostics giving fantastic service in in very dangerous places such as the Sudan or Syria or wherever it might be, trying to get aid in there right now, trying to get aid into Sierra Leone. I don't know that they're all believers in God. And also you could have different ideas of what God is. Um, you know, I, I think the finest description of what God is is given in the 12th blessing. But many people have other ideas too. So we're, we're support. Actually, our um, motto, as you will know, Jamie, is service is the jewel in the rock. Of attainment and that motto was given uh, by the karmic lord Mars sector 6 in the nine freedoms actually and 
any form of service is required. But if you are, uh, obviously what I would advise people to do is work out what they consider to be the most effective way of serving others. Now, I'm clear, I'm absolutely clear in my mind, the most effective way and by quite a margin that a person can serve in these days is through the Ethereum Society. You could say, I would say that, but then, you know, I'm here. That's why I'm doing it. People need to work that out. It's not, though, some people will say, well, I choose this because this is my kind of thing. Uh, I, I, I find this fulfilling or that fulfilling. It's not about that. It's about choosing how you can make the biggest difference in the world. It may not even be the thing you want to do, but it can become the thing you want to do if it's the best thing you can do. So that would be people, my advice on that. Yeah, so, so for those people out there that, that may be listening and thinking, well, this all sounds great, but really what difference does it make to me? You know, to me what, personally? Yeah, to me personally. So yeah. it's just about trying to get that message out to people so that they yeah, realize yeah, that they can actually yes. help as well. Yes, so they can, well, they can make a people? difference. Yeah. Sorry, did I interrupt you? I didn't quite hear. No, I don't no, want to no, interrupt no. you, it's did just, you? It's just obviously people will be listening in and thinking, you know, this all sounds wonderful. But yeah. it's just trying to make people have that realisation uh, somehow. And like you say, people have to realise this for themselves one way or the other. But actually, yes. we, all have, we all have an ability to be a part of something great, to, to help the world as a whole. Um, mm. And we can do something, even as individuals. Even though we may think that we're individual and we can't do anything, the Ethereum Society gives them that option. So it's just yeah. to sort of try and emphasise that in some way to people that may be thinking, Agreed. well, this sounds great, but really, what can I do? Yes, well, I, I think that's a very good point. And I think it, it's amazing what an individual can do. I mean, an individual, for example, let's take something coming up now. You might be in any part of the world. You could be living anywhere. If you've got internet access and you can tune in at 8 p.m. BST, whatever the time zone is in where you are, tomorrow uh, to the program of the emergency online service, you'll be part of something very, very important. You can make a big difference. If you are able to move to somewhere where the Ethereum Society has a headquarters, a branch or a group, if you can move there, I would say, and if you wish to, or I won't say wish to, I'll say choose to, because it is a choice, it's not always about doing exactly what we want. It, it's doing about doing the thing that we're able to do, the thing that can make the biggest difference. It can then become the thing we want. Now, if you can move somewhere, you can do even more. You'll get a, a bigger link. You'll get a link with the higher realms when you attend activities at a headquarters branch or group or one of our official pilgrimages. And, and you can make a massive difference in the world. If you support the Ethereum Society, and since we're talking about the Ethereum Society, in any way, you can make a gigantic difference. Don't underestimate what you can do. I mean, here's some advice that the Master Ethereus gave. This is great advice. He said this, Copy the great ones, even in your small way, and your small way will become a great, sure, and lasting way. And that was the master theorist in 1961. And I would like to add to that no finer role model to copy than Dr. George King himself, because he was the blueprint. Not the only one. There are many great ones uh, one can regard as a blueprint. But if we try to copy them, even in a small way, that can become, as the master theorist said, a great, sure, and lasting way. I'm not sure if I have any... Do I have time to ask you another question, Richard? No, we haven't. No, no Nikki, <laughs> Nikki says really. no. <laughs> Nikki says no. Well, thank you so much for answering those questions. I really well. Uh, thank you for coming really on the show and, uh, and and asking them. And I know you asked them with a really good motive because these are the sort of questions that people are asking you. And when you go out to festivals and speak to the public. And I hope that's been helpful, perhaps, to some of our newer listeners. And thank you all for listening today. And thank you very much to Nikki, our producer. And I'll now hand over to you, Nikki, to make uh, your closing remarks. 
Well, yes, thank you so much, Richard, for your inspirational insight and for giving clarity to questions that some newcomers may ask. And thank you, Jamie, for coming on the show. You have been listening to Ethereum Radio Live, which is your cosmic connection, the third Tuesday of each month. The next show will be on September 19th, when Richard and Chrissy will be talking about manipulation.